Welcome to Generation X Paranormal. Each week on this show, Nicole and I will break down a paranormal incident, story, or any other account. So join us and welcome to Generation X Paranormal. Hey everybody, welcome back. And if you didn't listen to the last show, Nicole's going to be out this week. Uh, she she definitely deserves a little bit of a break. Um, and she may not be in the next episode, I'm not entirely sure, but we'll play that one by ear. Now, hopefully you're all fans of the show, and if you are, uh, usually these episodes without Nicole tend to be a little bit on the shorter side. This will probably not be any different. However, I'm going to tell you that this, the topic of this particular episode is pretty pretty near and dear to my heart because it does have to do with um well has to do with being in the military um well it in itself doesn't but with me being in the military uh so i tend to any any topics that we cover that have some sort of military background or or some kind of uh some kind of history when it involves uh big events like that it tends to be a little bit closer to closer to the vest so to speak now some of you may know uh, i was a member of the united states armed forces I started off in the Navy, then uh, went into the Army. Um, I was a aviation ordnanceman in the Navy, which, if you don't know what that is, it's just basically putting you know bombs and missiles on the plane and turning an unscheduled flight into a uh, well, in a war machine. And then I left that to join the Army, and in the Army I was a combat medic. Uh, the reason I did that is because I, my mom was in the nursing field, and and I just loved being part of that and I helped her with school when she was when she was coming up and and I was younger and it always anyway it always fascinated me and my my sister's a nurse as well so it kind of runs in the blood now having said all that this episode really revolves around an aircraft carrier and we'll get into the specifics here you know just in a moment but I spent a lot of time in an aircraft carrier in around on top you call it whatever you want to say so I was aviation ordinanceman, and if you know if you're using your your thinking cap, that's going to put me on aircraft carriers, and you know they're called flat tops and and all kinds of other things. But the whole job of that is is you've got a boat that carries a whole bunch of airplanes out into theater. When I say theater, that means you know place where where war is conducted. Um, and it's meant to put bombs on target. In fact, that is everything that we did. Bombs on target. Um, so, as you would imagine, um, you know, it's it's a hefty it's a hefty task. It's a it's a it is organized chaos. And that's not just my wording. That's wording for anybody who's who's taken that plunge. Um, but anyway, it's um, it's a place, an aircraft carrier is a place where, where literally 6,000 people live in this floating city from anywhere from six months to eight months or, or maybe even longer. Um, and you have ship's company, which is these are people that are that are actually attached to the ship itself. And then you have air crew. An air crew is what I was in. I was in an aviation uh, squadron. I was in VF-143. Uh, we were F-14s. So we didn't live on the boat. It wasn't our duty station. We just, you know, we used it to go into theater. And um, so there was ship's company and then there's there's air wing. So I say all that to give you a little bit of a, of a background on what an aircraft carrier is. 
and what potentially we may be getting into with this topic. Now, living and 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 going to sea, it's it's incredibly taxing. Um, you know, you've got you're obviously in the in the armed services, so you know that there's a potential of well of war. That's what you signed up for. That is your that is your job. Okay, so you live with that, um, and everybody who's been in the military lives with that, and they can understand that. But that you basically signed over uh, signed your life over for a paycheck that includes anything and including your life. So you know, most of the time when people get in the military, they realize this, but it you know it's one of those eye opening kind of things. But as with all that being said, when you're out to sea, you know that a you could be attacked at any given time. Have how often has an aircraft carrier been attacked? Well, we're going to cover that here in a bit. But you know, it's not it's not typical. Um, an aircraft carrier when they go out, they are surrounded by a whole bunch of other boats, submarines, and it's um, it's a big deal. So, but still, you know, there's there's you're leaving your family, so you're already kind of sad. Um, but for some. You know, it's also a little bit of fun because you get to kind of, quote unquote, play with the boys. And I, yes, I know there, are, of course, there are female sailors, too. I say that tongue in cheek. I mean that more in being out there with your shipmates. And being with your shipmates means a lot. Um, it can mean some bad things, too, because this is just human nature. You're going to be around people you don't like. And you're going to know a whole lot about these people because you live, breathe, eat, bathe. I mean, you are with them 100% of the time. And, you know, I would imagine um, when when some shipmates perish, whether that be, uh, you know, whether that be an act of war or just, you know, perish at sea, people people pass away while you're on deployment. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be through uh you know a firefighter it doesn't have to be through through wartime uh we call them non-battle injuries by the way so a non-battle injury and there's there's definitely going to be some form of uh of loss there i've i've experienced it um you know these people you're with them all day long so you know they are truly your brothers and sisters because that's what you are for for whatever length of time you're you're deployed together or you know that you work together it's a little bit different than going to work for you know for some company um which maybe not necessarily you know civilian world there are definitely parallels i'm sure there are jobs out there that people love and and you know there's a lot of camaraderie and and things of that nature but for me having lived both lives I think for me, it's a little bit more pronounced in the military and, and you would want it to be because it needs to be a cohesive unit. Anyway, kind of kind of gone a long way to say that, you know, when you're deployed, um, things can happen and it's 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 dangerous. Working on a flight deck is, I think, one of the most dangerous places to work in the whole world. I can tell you that I've done it. I've done it a lot. In fact, uh, everybody who has been in in the Navy, and, and I'm fairly confident, even in the other services that do go to to go to sea, you have what they call a sea counter. Uh, it basically, just says how many days you have been out to sea. And when I last looked, and in fact, I did it today. When I last looked at my DD-214, it said that I was at sea two years and six months. That is actually haze gray blue underway that means i was not on land <laughs> that's a that's quite the thing to think about 
Um, so, you know, you, you, you spend a lot of time out to see things happen. And, um, and I kind of keep ringing that true, but, um, you know, it's, it's very dangerous. People get killed and a lot of things happen. So and since I've rambled on long enough and I've kind of beleaguered the, the case here, what we're going to cover is the USS Hornet. And the USS Hornet has quite a history, and we're going to get into that right now. The USS Hornet uh, CV-12, or some people call it CVA-12 or CVS-12, and that really is for the military guys and gals that know that it's a carrier and it's the 12th iteration. It is an Essex-class aircraft carrier built for the United States Navy during World War II. Completed in late 1943, the ship was assigned to the Fast Carrier Task Force, um, and it, uh, it was in the Pacific Ocean. And this was the Navy's primary offensive force during the Pacific War. Uh, so yeah, it's, obviously it's got a big history. It's part of World War II. And in early 1944, she participated in attacks on Japanese installations uh, in New Guinea, Paulu, Turk, among others. Uh, the Hornet then took part in the Marina and Palo Islands campaign and most of the subsidiary operations, notably the Battle of the Philippine Seas. It was in June that it earned the moniker of Great Marineris Turkey Shoot um, and for the disproportionate losses of inflicted uh, upon the Japanese. Now, when they say losses, that doesn't always necessarily mean life, okay? That just means that you know, damage to, to fleet, aircraft, things like that. So I wouldn't make light of anything like that. The ship then participated in the Philippines campaign in late 1944 and the Volcano and Ryu Islands campaign. And that was in the first half of 1945. Now, she was badly damaged by a typhoon in June and had to return to the United States for repairs. And after the war, she took part in Operation Magic Carpet. Well, if you don't know what that is, so World War II, um, obviously we had uh, people stationed abroad and for a very long time. So basically, they converted it into a, a water taxi, for lack of better words. But it was a little bit better than that. It was meant to repatriate people. Um, so it was, it was kind of like a... <laughs> Uh, the Navy's way or the military's way of maybe debriefing, getting these people out of a a combat frame of mind and get ready to get back into being a civilian for most of them. And she was placed in reserves in uh, 1946. But that was not the end of her operation career. Uh, she was reactivated during the Korean War, but spent the rest of the war being modernized to allow her to operate jet-propelled aircraft. And this is where we find out that she was, in fact, an aircraft carrier. Uh, the ship was modernized again in the late 1950s for service as an anti-submarine carrier, which basically means that it would hold aircraft that would basically go out and hunt down uh, submarines, and they would you know, do depth charges and stuff like that. So, And then she played a minor role in the Vietnam War during the 1960s and the Apollo program. And during the Apollo program, it recovered Apollo 11 and Apollo 12 astronauts when they returned from the moon. The Hornet was decommissioned in 1970, and she was eventually designated as both National Historic Landmark and a California historical landmark. And then she opened to the public as a, uh, as a museum, and it's called the USS Hornet Museum, and it's in Alameda, California. That's just a very quick 
underlayment, if you will, history of the USS Hornet. Now, this particular CV-12 was not the only um, ship that had the the name of USS Hornet. Um, you, I would I would recommend you do some research of your own because that is just there's so much history with that with that name. But with all that being said, well, why are we talking about a ship on a show that features paranormal stuff? Well, you guessed it. Yes, it has an extreme rich history in paranormal activity. And we're going to cover that right now. Now, one of my favorite accountings, um, and there's many, but one of my favorite happened in early February of 2009. And it goes like this, and I'm just going to read it word for word because I, I just cannot imagine trying to paraphrase this because it's really cool. But here we go, in quote. In early February of 2009, I was volunteering on the USS Hornet with a group of my fellow USS or US Coast Guardsmen. We were painting a compartment, and a few of us were wearing the white TivTac paper suits. So, if you've never seen that, those are like, um, I don't know, they're, they're meant to keep the paint off you and keep a barrier between you and the chemicals. It's not very thick. It's just, it's like a white paper uh, protective thing. Uh, and... He goes on saying, when our paint supply started to run out, uh, I went in search of the Hornet worker that was supplying our paint, uh, getting lost in the process. As I wandered the passageways, I came off the side, or I should say a side passage onto the starboard main passageway, one deck below the hangar deck. So what he's talking about there is, you know, on an aircraft carrier, you've got many, many decks, you know, obviously from the top to the bottom, or if you're, you know, if you're maritime from the from the mast to the keel, okay, there are tons and tons of, of passageways and, and different levels. So there is a level that when you get to a certain passageway, you can actually step out. And there's usually like a plank or something out there that allows you to see the hangar bays. Um, and, and that's pretty common. I, I've seen that in every every single carrier I've ever been on. So just kind of give you an idea, you know, of what... Um, you know, what he saw. So anyway, he goes on to say, I saw what I thought was one of my coworkers stepping off the main hall into a side passage about, about 25 feet away from me. I called out to him, but he just kept walking. And when I got to the hall that he stepped into, there was a chain blocking the entrance and it was empty. It was an empty compartment. I don't need us to say I was confused, but I kept walking and eventually found my way back to the room where we were painting. And that's when I saw the coworker I thought I had seen earlier. And I mentioned to him that I called to him in the passageway, but he told me he had not left the room for about an hour. Later, when I mentioned this to the Hornet employees, one lady said to me that I had seen the dress white or dress white's ghost. Apparently, the apparition of the apparition of a sailor wearing his dress white uniform. So, those of you who don't know, um, and I would imagine still the same, but in the Navy we had several different types of uniforms. Of course, um, you have the dress blues, which most of you think look like they're black, which they kind of are. Um, I won't get into the deep craziness of that, but anyway, those are called the dress blues, and that's the one with the standard white piping, which is the the three things that go around the the neck and the and the v shape and then you have dress whites and the whites obviously they're they look just like the blues but they're all white so basically what they're saying is this this particular ghost um wears this dress white clothing and you know is probably a residual ghost if that's sort of the thing that you're 
that you believe in, if you believe in the, the difference between a residual ghost and, and, a, and uh, an intelligent haunting, poltergeist, whatever you want, obviously a, a residual ghost kind of just goes through the same thing they go through, um, you know, what they went through in life. Some people won't even say that that's a true entity. It's just a recording. I disagree with that. I think that is an entity, but um, that's kind of the kind of the essence of the story. And I just find that really interesting mine these are all accounts from from other people so um but I'll, I'll go on there was another one where he says while on a boy scout scout overnight on the ship uh, i was the night watch at 4 a.m i was reading a book in the chapel alone at a large heavy table everyone else was asleep but there were many sounds coming from all around i heard a loud sound on the solid steel floor next to me and then a t- and then the table thumped and moved slightly my shift ended soon, and then I laid awake in bed, not able to sleep the whole night, and I told none of the boys I just didn't want to scare them. <laughs> you know, it just goes to show that, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you are in the ship, it, it there's activity pretty much everywhere. On this last personal accounting, um, I give this one a little bit more credence. I'm not going to say the name of this particular gentleman, but uh, this this was a a person stationed at NAS Alameda, um, and NAS is Naval Air Station, by the way. So, um, anyway, uh, quote: This happened while I was serving as a dock master at NAS Alameda. I was a BM one SW at the time. So BM one is basically what he did for for the Navy, um, and he was a first class uh, petty officer. And the SW just stands for he was a surface warfare, which is a a course that you have to go through to be considered an expert on the on surface warfare. So just real quick on that. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say it's been over ten years from the last time I was on the USS Hornet. After my last dead stick of the Hornet to Pier One. I was so upset that I played sick the next two moves. Now, a dead stick just basically means they're moving the ship uh, with it not being actually on. It's probably tug or something like that. So, And he goes on to say, Only just now do I tell my story as I have seen others come out with sightings, and I don't feel so much like a fool anymore. So anyhow, here's my story. In 1995 or 96, I'm not sure which one, we had a lot of ship traffic coming in and out of Alameda. The Lincoln, which is another aircraft carrier, had just left, and they wanted to get the Hornet over to Pier for one reason or another. I always hated dead sticking the Hornet. It moved like a cow. It took all day, and I always got assigned the forecastle. And for those of you who don't know what a forecastle is, it's spelt forecastle. Uh, that's not how it's obviously said. Uh, and then typically, it's where they store a lot of things. And a lot of the times, especially in aircraft carriers, that's where the um, the chains and the and the wildcats for the uh, for the anchoring system are contained. He goes on to say um, the forecastle was always hot, and during the summer there was no power, and just made it much more interesting. Well, we cast off the lines and the tugs pulled off the pier. I had two line handlers with me, and in the transit from one pier to another, uh, was likely to take an hour or so. They wanted to go up and check out the flight deck. I told them no problem, but get the mooring ready or mooring lines ready for the first run. Uh, they went ahead and they laid out in the line and they tried uh, heaving the line. 
to the eye, which is basically where, um, you know, the, the line would come out to more a, a boat. So, in other words, there's a really big aircraft carrier. These guys were setting out the lines. This, is, this guy's a BM, which is a, a boatswain's mate, which means they handle most of the lines. And um, if you know what lines are, this is ropes that go down and tie the ship to... Um, to the to the pier and when they say i that means they're getting this this particular uh this particular rope close to the eye which is the hole where it's going to come out so they can tie it to the cleat on the pier and the cleat's the thing that they tie it around anyway wow that's a that's a quickest marlin spike i could ever give anybody but anyway so um again he goes on to say um they left the they left and closed the q a w t d behind them I'm not going to go into that. It's just, it's just a passage type thing. Uh, I was sitting by myself, and then I noticed that the mooring line was passed through the bits in the wrong direction. I mumbled out loud, that ain't going to work. And I froze, and I heard a voice behind me say, that isn't right. Hmm. I turned around and didn't see anybody. I walked to the forward part of the room and checked the WTD, and it was chained shut. Okay, I shook it off, went back to the line, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone walking by the capson. I turned, figuring it was a line handler, um, and he was just wearing dungarees. I asked him if he had said something, and he didn't even look at me and bent over looking at something. And at that moment, I caught my eye and blinked. When I looked back, the sailor was nowhere to be found. I opened the QAWTD and went into the hall. I was scared. I waited till the line handlers came back, and then I went in with them. I never told them anything else. I didn't want to be figured as one of those ghost kooks. Anyhow, I saw a TV special on ghosts of the Hornet, and they mentioned activity in the Folksle area, so I figured I wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt anybody to tell my experience. Um, the things that I know for a fact, I was the only one in the Folksle at the time. My line handlers had shut the QAT, QAWTD, and there was no one could have opened it without me hearing. And all of the doors were chained and locked shut. Now, that comes from a retired U.S. Navy uh, shipmate. So I give that a lot of, um, you know, I give that a lot of, of clout, and I respect this man's uh, decision to say what he saw. Um, maybe stumbled through it a little bit. I apologize. But, yeah. It, it, this is a sailor that saw some paranormal activity. Now, those are just first-hand accountings. Um, you know, these are people that have gone there and seen things. Now, there are also places that are reported to be haunted, and one of them is Sick Bay. Now, if you don't know what Sick Bay is, that's where it's basically the hospital, the ship, it's where the doctors typically are, and the nursing. So, if you you get hurt, you feel sick, that's where you go. Sick Bay. Now, in Sick Bay, they've got beds uh, for people who are who are, you know, trying to come back from any kind of injury or just have, you know, a bad illness. It's basically to recover. Um, and I've actually had to sleep in them, um, you know, when I was in the military. And it's not not the most comfortable thing. It's loud. Um, you know, there's people going back and forth. So it's not like it was a not like it was the most fun experience in the world. But anyway, um, so anyway, there on the USS Hornet. Um, is very much so believed that the sick bay area is haunted. Now, when I say haunted, the reports are that there is a particular bunk that if you lay in it, you get the sensation of somebody trying to help you, whether that be 
you know, wrap your arm with, uh, with bandaging or just kind of trying to assist you with anything. People feel like they're getting touched, not in a malicious way, but in a, in a caring way. And there are people that have been there and, and heard other people say, can I help you with something? And there's a lot of disembodied voices, um, but they're usually in a helping manner. Now, when it comes to that, you got to figure this thing was in World War II. So there's a good chance that it has seen some some quite devastating injuries. And I would imagine that they would have also been some people that have passed from these injuries. So I would think that if there would be a place that would be haunted, then I would say Sick Bay would be a number one place where it would, it would start from. And kind of moving on, there is, uh, there's another area that, that is also uh, seeing a lot of shadow figures, and that's called the mess hall. So the mess hall is where we eat. Okay, it's and it's not just where we eat. A lot of things happen there. You know, there's there's sometimes there's events that people carry on in, in the mess hall. It's just it's just a good place for people to gather, you know, just to break bread and, and be merry, as you say. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, it has been claimed that there has been a lot of paranormal activity in the, in the form of, you know, shadow figures. Now, <clears throat> I can tell you that that would be a a place where a lot of people transit. So you're going from one end to the other of an aircraft carrier on the mess deck. You're going to run through one of these things. Um, in addition to that, uh, being aviation ordinance, I worked with all the gunners mates on the aircraft carriers. And one of the main elevators for uh, munitions was through the mess hall. So with any given time, they would close part of it down. And while you're chowing down on some really questionable uh chicken you could see you could see um them moving bombs back and forth and there's nothing like telling you um you're there to do a specific job like chewing on some rubber chicken and seeing you know a, a 500 pound bomb being moved up and down but anyway i digress so you know yeah you're gonna probably see a lot of darting traffic i would imagine these these shadow figures have a destination they're they're headed somewhere um which is why i think it's not why they don't necessarily hear voices and things of that nature. It's because these people are in transit. These, these entities are going from one end to another. And that's, that's how you get by on a ship. And I think that in a residual afterlife, that that's what that is. They're, they're moving from one side to another. In another area that sees some, some decent amount of paranormal activity, uh, that would be the admirals, uh, basically the admirals conference room. Um, and, and typically what they see there is, is ghost hunters will go down there and do the mag light. Um, uh, basically it, what they do is they take the twisting kind of mag light and they'll twist it to where it comes on and they'll just back it up enough to where it shuts off. Then they'll lay it down, obviously really gently, and they'll ask questions of, of a particular haunt or a particular spirit and see if they can turn on the light. Um, you know, for, for what it's worth, some people see this as, as sort of parlor tricky, um, and some people think it as being something that is, you know, it's really good to get evidence that way. I'm a bit half and half, to be honest with you. Um, I do think of all the paranormal activity, that's the one, or I should say the, the testing of paranormal activity, that's the one I favor the least, because it's probably the easiest one to to get false readings from. Um, you know, everything's made differently. And I think that there's, there's a lot based off a of chance when it comes to that. So at any rate, um, at the Admiral's conference room, 
uh, usually they will speak to to anybody in the room and there are many 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 ghost hunting tours and and different videos out there where you can see that that in fact they have answered the questions and turned the light on um, but does that necessarily mean it's it's a an entity i don't know i think a lot of that's left up to to you to decide but um anyway that that is also a place uh where they're seeing some some activity so what does this mean is it haunted that's a really loaded question, right? First of all, you have to believe in paranormal activity and ghosts. Um, as you can probably guess, we do. Um, and I would imagine if you're listening to this, there's a chance you do too. Could it be haunted? Absolutely. I think that, first of all, this this particular vessel has seen action. And it's not only seen, you know, a little bit. It's seen quite a bit. Um, it's also been utilized to, to bring... Uh, shipmates home and that while that was probably really great for them there was a lot of self um self-reflection and a lot of things a lot of a lot of thoughts got worked out by by people coming home um if you've never been in theater if you've never you know gone to war um first of all it's it's just something that we did um it's what we were paid to do so when that happens there's a lot rolling around in your head and you got to work it out, right? Some of us go to therapy, myself included, you know, we work things out in our head. And I think that for probably a great deal of people that came back home and utilized the, uh, the magic carpet part of it, um, it was a very difficult place to, to be because they're working through some things. Um, so when you're going through that sort of a metamorphosis, <clears throat> when you pass, you may gravitate to a place where you reworked out a lot of things, you know, and maybe you feel safe there. It's a safe haven. In addition to that, it's also seen a lot of highs and lows, but it, in one particular high, it was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in our space program. I mean, we had, whether believe it or not, and let's not even get in, started into that, but we know for a fact they went out into the ocean and they picked up Apollo astronauts um, because there's filming of it. And these astronauts came from the moon. And it was the it was the elation of everyone at the time. All eyes were on this boat, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. You know, they they picked up some people from the water that went out of our planet and touched another celestial uh, piece of land. That's that's significant even to this day. So it took center stage to a lot of different things. So there could be a lot of residual energy when it comes to, you know, the highs, the lows, the, you know, the, the coverage that it's seen. You know, if you believe in, in residual haunting, you got to figure there's a lot of things that are attached to this. Um, it could even be astronauts you know you think of you think of the three astronauts that that went to the moon and of course the two that actually set foot on it of course that's neil armstrong michael collins and buzz aldrin so you know could either of those three people have some kind of attachment we don't know um you know there's just there's an insane amount of history involved in this in this particular vessel that sure you know i can tell you right now that if you know, gosh, I hope it's many, many, many years from now when I pass. Um, if I were to go to either the Stennis, which was one of my aircraft carriers, uh, the Eisenhower, or even the JFK, 
but more probably the the Eisenhower. Yeah, you know, that's just the smells, the the different things that I saw over all the time I spent aboard her. Yeah, there would be like a comfort to that. I would feel um, if I were even now living, if I were to step foot on the on the Eisenhower and walk its passageways and get on the flight deck. Although I spent so much time, blood, sweat, and tears on that thing, that yeah, you would have an attachment. So would that also mean that that in passing, could I also have an attachment to it? Could some residual of me be on the flight deck? I tell you what, it sure probably felt like it back in the early 2000s because I felt like I was dead half the time walking on that thing. Anyway, as I was getting to it, um, you know, I could see where there would be a lot of attachment. I could see where these soldiers, sailors, anybody that was coming back would feel a kinship with it. So, yes, I do think in that particular respect, it is haunted. Um, I do not, however, believe there's any demonic thing going on. Um, I can tell you that there have been all your your normal players that have gone out there and said, oh, there's demonic this, there's a vortex here. Look, I mean, if that's what you think and that's what you believe, I'm certainly not going to be someone to tell you not to believe it. I personally don't feel that. I think it was a place where where a lot of people had highs and lows. I don't think that there's any kind of benevolent, or I should say any kind of monster roaming the uh, passageways of the USS Hornet. And I'm not saying that there aren't places out there where that's, that's happening, because I definitely think there are. I just don't think so in this case. I think that right now the USS Hornet is resting in peace. It is in Alameda. It's a beautiful museum. I think that people should go there, um, you know, take the tours, take the ghost tours, be part of this uh, this great heritage that we have. Um, you know, these these sailors, these soldiers, these these people that that help serve and, and mold our country. Um, and, and it's her current incantation, you know, they deserve to be honored. And I think part of that would be to get on board, go on the tours, go on the ghost tours, listen to it. If you don't believe it, don't believe it. It's fine. But go be part of this because that's what they want. They just want to be remembered. They just want to be part of life still, even though they're not still with us. And in that sense, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because, I kind of go a little bit in in winded when it comes to things I believe in, and of course, this particular episode, I carry a lot of personal um, personal feelings for. But uh, at any rate, please don't forget we do have a Facebook, and we can be at um, we can be reached at, of course. I'm sorry, at info at gxparanormal.com. That's our email. Uh, of course, we have a Facebook group as well, and that's uh, facebook.com forward slash um, Generation X Paranormal. Actually, it's just probably easier to find us at uh, Generation X Paranormal Podcast. Just look us up like that, because um, I get in trouble. I was going to set up for some reason. Um, in, in addition to that, um, I'm going to put on this uh, particular episode at the end, um, I said at the end, but I'm going to put a poll up, and it'll be on Spotify. I've got an idea of doing... So we do have a YouTube channel, and right now it's kind of in flux. I usually do truncated versions of the podcast against some video, and honestly, that's pretty boring. I think it's boring for you guys. It's not necessarily exciting for me, Um, but what I think I'd like to do is potentially do kind of like a live thing 
Um, I've got some ideas of what I want to do, but I was thinking like on a Friday night about getting people together um, and just talking about whether it be the the show, um, because typically we, re- we release this show on Friday. So it could be just like a Friday night review of the show, or we could just do live where you guys call in and, and you know, we go over things. So I say call in, but you know, whether that be like over a zoom or something like that, um, you know, just trying to do something different. I, I definitely am not particularly satisfied with its current incantation. Um, there's a lot of hard work put into it. It's not that it's just, there's only so many shorts I want to do and only so many things that eventually just becomes repetitious. I would really like to get your involvement because the paranormal affects everybody. It's not just one walk of life. It impacts us all. And I cannot end this any better than that. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.